Hello everybody and welcome to the Magical Learning Podcast for this week. This week we're talking to Dermot Crowley about Lead Smart. It's his new book but it's also an amazing concept. We get into some amazing conversations and Bob Geldof is brought up a lot uh, to find out why. Listen through, it's a great conversation, there's a great story there and as always, have a magical week. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Magical Learning Podcast for this week. As I'm sure you've already seen from the title of this episode, it's very exciting. We've got a guest on today, and we'll get to them shortly. But first, let's check in with the regular team, see what's happening. So um, I might start with John today. John, how are you going? How's the week been? Uh, Week's been pretty good, Jess. Uh, Did some teaching during the week, which went extremely well, so that was great. Um, The weather's here here in Canberra is fantastic. been out doing some running this morning and this week, so that's even better. So, no, it's been a great week. Loving it. That's amazing. It's it's always nice, John, when you can get out and do running instead of running some errands, you know? Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely, Jess. <laughs> awesome. Well, it's great to have you on again, John. Um, I might go to Graham. Graham, uh, how are you going this week? I'm uh, I'm good, Jess. Thanks. I'm at, at home. Um, had a little bit of time up in Canberra earlier in the week, caught up with some of the kids, which was good. Um, lots of coaching at the moment. And uh, one of our little slithery friends is back on the veranda, which is always a fun experience for me. Scared. Uh, luckily, this one has legs. Well, that's so nice. very excited about that, but it's uh, it's a it's a blue tongue, probably about yay long, and was very indignant that I wanted to take its photo and and wanted to check that it actually had legs. But there you go, <laughs> uh, I am living the dream. Well, that's good. We're excited for more uh, reptilian updates. I guess as the season wears on, you know. Hopefully not. Hopefully not. <laughs> um, and Danette, how are you going? Different background this week. What's uh, what's happening with you? Yes, so um, I'm in Melbourne for um, the Thought Leader Immersion today. Got to catch up with Jez and Kanika last night. And straight after this, we're catching up again for lunch, which will be awesome. Um, And on my flight up, I happened to pick up this book at the airport lounge. And I am about three quarters of the way through it. And it's awesome. Anyone who can't see it because they're listening, this is Dermot's new book, Lead Smart. It is awesome. Amazing. Thanks for that, Danette. And we'll touch on that very book very shortly. But before we get into that, Dermot, how has your week been? Hi, guys. Um, my week has been really good. I got to start the week off up um, up the coast. So we've got a, a place up the coast and the weather was particularly good on Monday. So I stayed up there, did a bit, a bit of delivery from um, uh, from up there on Tuesday and then came back. So that was really nice. And it's going to end on a bit of a high as well, because it looks like we're buying a puppy tomorrow. So I'm very excited about that. Um, we are going to look at the puppy tomorrow, but I know that that means we're buying the bloody thing. So it's going to be great. What, what sort of puppy, Dermot, you got to share now? We, we are looking at a cavoodle. We've already got a Maltese poodle uh, who is 18. And, um, yeah, we just thought that maybe in, in his last couple of years, he might like a little bit of puppy company. So, yeah. Aww. That's amazing. We love that, Dermot. What an exciting start to this uh, podcast before we've even dived in. Um, <laughs> so, and Graham's just put in the chat for everybody to run away from <laughs> this dog. Um, but uh, I want to introduce Dermot to people that uh, maybe being introduced to Dermot for the first time. 
beyond being a great dog lover, it seems like, here's some extra facts about Dermot that I wanted to share. So Dermot is one of Australia's leading thought leaders on productivity. He has over 25 years of experience teaching people to work more effectively in the modern workplace. And he's been running his own productivity training business for over 20 years. He's the author of four books, Smart Work, Smart Teams, Urgent, and his latest book, Lead Smart, which we'll be touching on shortly. Dermot's current focus is working with leadership teams on creating more productive team cultures. Love that, Dermot. I'm so excited to get into the conversation today. So I think, uh, you know, we're going to be talking about your newest book and the concept of Lead Smart. So I think let's just start there. Dermot, what is Lead Smart in a sort of broad sense before we get into the questions today? Sure. So look, a lot of my experience has been working with uh, individuals and teams in in corporate Australia uh, and around the world, uh, basically on their personal productivity. And and one of the things that I realized when I wrote my first book, Smart Work, was that productivity was more than just personal productivity. It was also a cultural issue in organizations. And that kind of led me to to write my second book and and my third book, which um, uh, Smart Teams and Urgent both talk about. Uh, productivity cultures and the idea that if we can create healthier productivity cultures, then people's personal productivity will be more sustainable. But again, in writing those, my realization was that uh, none of this is really going to be sustained over time unless we get leadership involved. And the challenge I've always had is leaders and organizations need this stuff the most, but they are often the, the least likely to actually invest time into learning how to be more productive so lead smart was kind of the bookend to my and my smart trilogy and it's really aimed at leaders and leadership teams and getting them to think about not just their own personal productivity and what they need to do to operate at a, at a high level of productivity but also how do they lead those more productive cultures within their teams and yeah it seems to be a a body of work that um makes sense to my clients and and it's certainly one that I love running. Amazing. It's it's such a good topic and it, you know, covers a lot of things that I think we're really passionate about here at uh, Magical Learning. So it's a perfect uh book to talk about and a perfect topic. So I might start with Danette because Danette, you've um you've had a read of this book as well and you've got a question here. So I guess before we get to your question, just some thoughts on the book and then you can jump into your question. So I learned a lot about Dermot in this book, which I love. And he mentions a number of people that we share in common. So it's beautiful. Um, Dermot, I've got to say, um, I didn't know about OneNote. So I've now um, am using OneNote. So that changed my world in terms of I'm always buying moleskins. And now I'm like, oh, I can do this electronically. So that was awesome. But I reckon you've got to tell people about Dermot loves music, loves the odd pub as well. Um I reckon our listeners would love to hear about you meeting um, Bob Geldof. Oh, yes. Um, <laughs> this is a very, very true story. And, and I, I often look back at it and, and truly cringe. Um, growing up in Dublin, Bob Geldof was uh, a bit of a legend before even Live Aid and all of that. And um, he was the lead singer in the Boomtown Rats. He was the star of one of my favorite movies, Pink Floyd, The Wall. And, um, you know, just a well-known personality. But then, of course, Live Aid and, and all of that just made him a global star. And, and then the work he did uh, around um, those charities was just amazing. 
anyway, he kind of got sick of it all, uh, I, I reckon, in the 1990s. And he was under so much pressure that he decided to get back to a band and um, do a tour. But what he wanted to do was a, a tour of regional Australia, as far away from you know New York and London as he could get. So he was doing a tour around them. Um, Australia, but I was in Mildura picking grapes and he was playing in the local RSL club in Mildura, which was really cool. And I was I was backpacking at the time and myself and my mates went along and um we you know he did all the, the hits, it was amazing. And then afterwards at the bar, um, we saw him, you know, ordering a drink and and we we couldn't help ourselves but go up and say, Hey Bob, uh, you know, we're from Dublin too. And he was really lovely and he turned around and he was asking us about, you know, our trip and what we were doing. And when we said that we were picking grapes in Muldura and he said, oh, I used to pick peas when I was young. And one of my mates, Eamon, was really drunk. And Eamon's a bit of a, he can be a bit of a character when he wants to be. And he goes, peas? You were picking peas? And Bob Goldoff says, yeah. And he goes on with the conversation. And then a minute later, Eamon says, peas? You were picking peas. And Bob Geldof turned around. You could just tell that he was getting a bit annoyed. And he says, yeah, how the hell do you think they get in the bloody can? And he stormed off. And it was just one of those really embarrassing moments where if I had my time again, I would have asked him a really insightful question. But instead, I had to put up with peas. But I love that because it, it's you. Dermot, and, and it was just a beautiful, it made me laugh because I was reading it last night and I was like, oh, I just love that. And I love our listeners to hear that as well. So thank you. Um, so my actual question for you is how do you tell the difference uh, between distractions and noise and actual impactful leadership? And particularly this uh, for me is, you know, when people want to come in and talk to you as a leader, how do you tell the difference between, you know, you need to be there with them versus actually this is probably not a good use of your time, particularly as a leader. Sure. Uh, look, I, I guess that, again, has two um, aspects to it. There's a, a personal productivity aspect and probably a cultural productivity aspect. Um, you know, I think um, coaching and mentoring your team as much as possible to help them to come to you with relevant and well thought out questions and and therein lies the 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 you know the meaning in the story about Bob Geldof um if we had a thought about what what would we ask Bob Geldof in a succinct way we could have had a much more profitable conversation with him but we didn't and I think often people will come up and interrupt a leader and they haven't thought about what the issue is properly. They haven't thought about any solutions for themselves. They just go up and say, I've got this problem and then they they you know vomit it out. So I think coaching and mentoring people to do that is helpful. But I also think that giving people some framework for prioritization can also be helpful as well. So I often talk about, um, you know, ask teams, how, how do you prioritize? And I often find that people can't necessarily answer that question. It's quite often an instinctive thing. And, and my experience is people often prioritize by urgency rather than importance. And there's an equation I often use when I talk about prioritization, which is urgency multiplied by importance equals priority. And, and that makes sense. And, and I think most people will look at that and go, yeah, yeah, okay, I can get that. But my belief is that um, we, need to, we need to change that around. It's the wrong way around that the, the sentence should read importance multiplied by urgency 
equals priority. And that means that we need to get people to look at work through the lens of importance first, and then through the lens of urgency. And, and even leaders don't do this. They just simply react to whatever the noise or the interruption or the distraction is without, first of all, looking at, at, looking at it through that lens of, is this a good use of my time? Is this a better use of my time than what I'm trying to concentrate on right now? And if people just pause for a moment and did that more, they'd be able to sort out the, the noise from the, the signal, if you like. Nice, great answer. Thank you, Dermot. Awesome. Thanks. Loved that one. And <laughs> mom sending the virtual hug there as well. Love that. Thanks, Danette. Um, Graham, I'll go to you now. Graham, what was your question? Tell us a bit about why you chose it as well. Well, I've now got five questions. Um, one was just around timing of you picking grapes in Mildura because I spent um, a few years down in a, in a little place called Dayton, which is about 20 minutes away. It, also it would picking have been grapes 1994. In- no idea. I probably wasn't there then. Wouldn't have been far off it because uh, I also played in the band that played at the uh, Miltura RSL Club. Fantastic. Um, that's it. Just hanging off your coattails and doing a terrible job. Did you lose any of your fingers in, in the grape picking, Dermot, just out of curiosity? Um, I, I didn't lose a finger, but I almost lost a toe. Um, I... I got a an infection in my foot because we were picking in 40-degree heat in, mm. in very sweaty conditions. I got a foot infection and ended up in the in the hospital in Mildura. And because um, at, uh, certainly at the time, um, Irish backpackers didn't have access to Medicare. So one of my mates was from Northern Ireland and he did have access to Medicare. So he gave me his Medicare card and he just said, Look, just pretend you're Connor and, and you know, you'll be able to get. So I went into the hospital and I'm in the, uh, the, the waiting room and I give him my card as Connor and I'm waiting for them to call me. I waited eight hours and nobody had seen me. Wow. And when I finally plucked up the courage to go up and say, look, is anyone ever going to see me? They said, oh, we called your name hours ago. And I said, oh, I didn't hear it. And he says, yeah, we called Connor. And I went, oh, bloody hell. <laughs> of course, I wasn't listening now for Connor. I was listening now for Dermot. So, yeah, God, this Mildura seems to throw up a lot of stories. <laughs> it does. <laughs> Damn. Bloody Australian accents. If only we could get it right. Yeah. Uh, so my, my question, um, part of the background, I guess, of a question was just um, trying to understand understand the where the lines blurs between time management and self-management um and so my question was which do you think has a, a greater impact on um quality productivity and i sort of emphasize the quality thing because you know we've probably all been in a space of where we've been super productive but what we're pushing out is pretty ordinary um so which you know in your experience has a greater impact on on quality productivity um, is it managing our time or managing our focus and attention because they are sort of subtly a little different yeah look i think i would have traditionally said time management was the most important thing uh, because it's my natural bias and this is something i only really learned about myself and through writing my new book lead smart my my realization was that time is just one of the resources that we've got to manage 
to help us to be productive. And I, I reckon yep. that there are some people like me, I'd label myself an organizer. So I use the resource of time predominantly to get stuff done. And, and I love that. I love being organized. I love having a schedule. I love having a prioritized task list. I love getting my inbox to zero. So that really suits me. And I kind of, for many years, I kind of thought everyone was either like me or everyone should be like me. But when I was writing Lead Smart, my realization was that a lot of leaders that I work with, they, they don't necessarily operate that way, but they're still highly productive. And I, I realized there was other biases and other mm. archetypes out there. So another archetype might be the energizer who isn't necessarily using the, the resource of time to get stuff done, but they bring a huge amount of energy to bear on, on what they do. And, and myself and Danette know, know someone who would put up her hand and say, yes, that's me, our friend Lisa, who just has a ton of energy and mm. she leaves everything till the last minute, but then she just applies tons of energy. She brings everyone along with her and she gets stuff done. I also think there's a third archetype, which is the analyzer, and they're people who are really good at managing their focus and their attention. And what I would say is, um, my realization is none of these are wrong, and um, we should try to use all of them. If we were to be truly effective in what we're doing, we would sometimes lead with time, and we would sometimes lead with energy, and we would sometimes lead with focus. Yeah. And I, I guess that's one of the messages I have for leaders to say, okay, you might not be like me, you might not be naturally an organizer, but if you could build that skill up and be able to then lead with that in certain situations, that's going to be helpful to you. Uh, and knowing which, uh, which resource to use and what situation can be helpful. So today where I've got a number of interviews I'm managing my energy enormously. I'm not really managing my time too much, except turning up on time to the interviews. But you know, on Monday, um, where I'm I'm getting stuff done in a different way, I'll be managing my time and I'll have my task list and I'll be going tick tick tick. Does that make sense? It does. Yeah, it does. I like it. Thanks, Dermot. Thank you. Awesome. Thank you so much, Dermot. Um, and great question, Graham. Um, I'll throw to John now. John, what was your question? And tell us a bit about why you chose it. Yeah. Sure. Thanks, Jess. So, Dermot, my question came from the fact that, you know, I've, I've been in training for a long time, um, working with magical learning for a long time, but, you know, I keep watching. Yeah, it was through a conversation I had with a mate of mine who was talking about he's an accountant and going to uni and, and doing lecturing. But um, it seems to be that we almost rinse and repeat for the next generation. So you sort of you, you throw out your training to, to leaders to whoever, and then the next generation comes along and it's almost, well, now we've got to start again with them and, and build up. So there's got to be a better way. There's got to be a way that we can start that early or get that pushed down in a way, whether it's through leaders and coaching and mentoring, as you were talking about, or even as parents. How do we pass on those good practices to the next generation in order to make them stick so that, you know, it's, it's like the buffalo theory, the weak ones fall away, but the buffalo herd speeds up constantly and we, we evolve. Mm. Great question. So I'll answer that in two ways. Um, first of all, I reckon when it comes to productivity, um, especially as leaders, we need to make sure that we are actually uh, demonstrating good behaviours because people learn from us. If you, if you think about your way of organising yourself right now and how you've cobbled 
that system together, you probably take in lots of things from people along the way, you know, people that you worked with, your, your old boss, and you mirrored what they were doing. And the problem is that when you've got a disorganized leader, then the chances are you're going to have a disorganized bunch of young people who learn from that leader and therefore um, um, transmit bad productivity generationally, if you like. So that's a, that's a part of it. Get more organized and, and coach people on, on best practice. The second thing that you want to think about, though, is culture. And if you've got unproductive cultures, and, and generally when I talk about productivity cultures, I, I talk about three cultures. I talk about your, your email culture, your meeting culture, and your urgency culture. And if they are in unhealthy, then people are drowning in noise and, and information. They are spending all of their time in unproductive meetings or too much of their time in unproductive meetings. And they are potentially being too reactive and not proactive enough because everything is urgent. Yeah. So if you want to shift that, you need to do it generationally. And that you do that by creating a different culture, a more, a more productive and a healthier culture. Um, my latest newsletter was on this very subject. I talked about Gordon Ramsay. Now, okay, you might say I don't quite think of Gordon Ramsay when I think of good leadership, but I, I truly believe I'm reading this book at the moment, and I don't think that he's the monster that the shows that he's been on make him out to be. He is actually a very good leader, and he has built up an empire of, of restaurants. Mm -hmm. But the one that is closest to his heart is restaurant Gordon Ramsay in, in uh, England. And in that, he talks about the, the DNA that he has created. And the DNA is things like um, lightness. So that's a word he uses a lot. So he wanted to move away from the heavy, creamy, French-based um, uh, cooking. So lightness is in everything that he does. Um, a second one would be uh, seasonality. So he changes his recipes according to what is seasonal in, in, um, uh, in the shops. That has created a culture in his restaurants that has meant that after 25 years, whether he's there or not, everyone in the restaurant knows how to cook and, and what to cook. He's created a culture. Hmm. I, I, I think that's a great example. Hmm. Um, and um, I wanted to add in... Uh, I guess Kanika's question, because it's also about uh, culture, but this is from a different, um, I guess, perspective, or we've kind of covered the leader's perspective, but for a, this question is for both a leader and for someone lower down the corporate structure, what are some good steps to take if you feel like the workplace's culture could be improved? Yeah, this is, this is the really challenging uh, thing because we can talk about creating more productive cultures, but a lot of people don't necessarily feel that they've got any agency. And I'm often working with people who kind of, they, they feel like they're victims of their inbox and they're victims of their schedule and they're victims of, of reactivity. They, there's nothing I can do about it. So I reckon that's the first thing that a leader needs to do is to actually empower people to make a change and, and to give them agency and, and have conversations about in this case, about those productivity cultures. So that's definitely a good starting point. Um, I reckon that culture is just a set of group behaviors and beliefs. And if you want to shift the culture, 
what you need to go back to is first of all having a um a common understanding of what the 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 dna of the team to go back to gordon ramsay what is it what are the 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 intentions that you all bring to the table when it comes to how you work together and you know those intentions when i talk about and um, productivity cultures i would say that people should work in a way that is purposeful uh work in a way that is punctual uh, that is reliable and that is mindful so they for me are they kind of set the intentions of the team a bit like gordon ramsay when it comes to you know uh, seasonality or lightness they 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 set people's intentions but the problem is there's, there's a big gap between good intentions and actual behaviors especially when people get busy and get stressed and and get overwhelmed so the thing that bridges the gap between intentions and behaviors are team agreements i believe if you can put a set of simple clear team agreements in place that will hold you to account and also allow you to hold other people to account on as to how we're going to work together those team agreements will will keep people on track they will drive the behaviors of the team and the behaviors of the team then set the culture whether it be your urgency culture your meeting culture or your email culture that's that's great damn i've been taking so many notes especially about these different types of uh, people and these different types of cultures you can kind of work with it's a, it's such a easy framework but i'm it's making so many things make a lot of sense in my mind so that thanks so much for these ones um i might go to uh, allegra who we should also say we'll almost be finished uni by the time this comes out. So very exciting that uh, she's doing an animation course, but she's sending this question, which is delegating can be harder for some people than others. What are some tips you for people who may struggle to pass responsibility on? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, again, I work with a, a lot of people and, and leaders included who should delegate more and they don't. And often when they do delegate, they don't necessarily de delegate effectively. So, you know, I'll talk about myself. First of all, I was the type of person who found it hard to delegate work. I, because I was an organizer, because I was so highly organized, I could get a lot of stuff done myself. So I would um, come up with all sorts of reasons why I wasn't going to delegate to other people, even when I had other people to delegate to. Um, I would often hold on to things because I'd think that, look, they're really busy and I don't want to overload them with more. Or I'd tell myself the story that, look, by the time I delegate it to them, I might as well have done it myself. So I'll just do it myself. You know, there was all these stories I told myself. But the the realization for me was whenever I didn't delegate, there was always an opportunity cost. So I really believe in the idea that every time you say yes to something that you should have said no to, you were also saying no to something that you could have said yes to. There's always an opportunity cost. So I got to thinking, and this is after some mentoring from, uh, from somebody else, um, I got to thinking about every time you don't delegate something that you should, that is dragging you down below the line, and it's making you very busy, but you're not necessarily having impact. So I have a very clear line now and what is above the line are the things that I can do that really add impact. And when I'm down below the line, 
I'm doing stuff that, yeah, sure, I could do them, but I'm not having the same impact. So I always think about that opportunity cost, and I'm now quite ruthless. Even if it would only take me a minute to do it, if it's something I should delegate, I delegate it anyway. Because, and of course, you know, you know, this is the best um, tool you can use to grow people as well. So there's many reasons why we should delegate. So I, having that clear um, line in your mind is a is a really good thing. And then the second thing I'd say is that um, a lot of people don't delegate because they don't want to lose control. And they, they're worried that they won't remember or um, they, they won't be able to follow it through to its conclusion. And that's going to reflect, reflect badly on them. So having a good system in place to help you to control the work is a really good idea. So you know, for me, I would, if I delegated something to Jez and I needed to make sure that that got done by a certain time, I'd probably schedule a, a reminder for myself in my task list and say, you know, do Jez re podcast recording. And that, that just is a simple way for me to maintain some level of control that, I, you know, three weeks isn't going to pass and I'm going to go, oh, I never got that from Jez. So I'm, I'm, I'm maintaining some control, but I'm, I'm leaving it to him to do the work. Um, sometimes what you need to do is to have a visual control mechanism between you and the other person. So, um, uh, Danette, you were talking about OneNote as a tool that can help you to manage your work. Um, I'm also a big fan of um, tools like Microsoft Planner or Trello, a Trello board, something like that, as a very visual way of making work visible across the whole team. And if I delegate something to somebody else, I might put it onto a Trello board or a Microsoft Planner board. And that way, we've both got visibility over what needs to be done, who's responsible for it, when it's needed by, and any associated information. And, and if we, on a weekly basis, both come together and review that board, it allows us to have the right conversations to maintain control, maintain control over that piece of work. So simple things like that can really help. That's great. And I like that there's a couple of different options there for, you know, people that are more visual and what have you. But I think um, through that answer, I think you've teed up my question kind of nicely. But I also now kind of have a second question that I'm going to kind of roll into this one. Um, so my question was, what's the best way to be available for your team, but also be able to set good boundaries and protect yourself, which we were kind of just talking about a little bit then. And how should you go about finding that balance? But I guess my real question after listening to the um, previous answer is, what uh, how did you help define your boundary that you were talking about there where you have things at a certain line above and below? How, what was that process for you like? Yeah, um, it was an interesting process. And and again, Danette, Danette will be familiar with this because it, it comes from um, some work that uh, I've done with a guy called Matt Church, who we both know quite well. Um, Matt was one of my mentors. And, and um, one day, Matt had a conversation with me and that kind of went like this. He said, um, you know, Dermot, one of the things that I worry about with you is you, you don't seem to manage your time very well. And I went, but, 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 you know, I'm the time management expert. I'm the organizer. And he went, yeah, yeah, look, I know that you've, you're highly organized and you've, you've got everything in the system. I'm not saying that. He said, it's what you're spending your time on that, that worries me because you seem very, very busy but I'm not sure that you're busy doing the right work. And he was completely right. And what it translated into was a real shift in my mindset around how I allocated my time through the week. And 
you know, to this day, and that was, you know, gone on 10 years ago, we had that conversation. To this day, I think about my week in, in four ways. The four key things I want to spend my time on are think, sell, deliver, and team. So they're what I call my lanes. So I'm kind of using the swimming analogy, you know, the way someone says, stay in your lane. Well, they're the four lanes I want to stay in. Think, sell, deliver, and team. If I'm not thinking about productivity or writing content, creating content, if I'm not having sales conversations about it, if I'm not actually delivering training or, or um, a, a keynote speech, or I'm not working on something to lead my team, then I'm not in my lane. So that was one um, perspective, if you like. And then I overlaid that on top of that and the above the line, below the line perspective, which uh, again, Matt introduced me to. And um, that just seemed like a really nice way to think about, okay, if there are your four lanes, what would be the above the line activities in those lanes? So what are the things in those areas that truly have impact and, and really only you can do because you are the, the thought leader or you are the business owner or whatever? And then what's below the line that um, is still within those four lanes? But what are the things that are below the line that are dragging you down? And what could you do with them? You know, could you delegate those to somebody else? Could you simplify them or streamline them in some way? Could you get rid of them from, you know, why are we doing this at all? And, and I reckon those two perspectives help me to constantly focus on the things that have the most impact. Now, am I perfect at this? No. I get dragged down below the line all the time. I get pushed out of my lanes all the time. But I'm much better at managing that now than I was maybe two or three years ago, even. Yeah, that's such a that's such a good um, good tip there because you know we do also talk to a lot of people that uh, you know magical learning included where you start your own business and you have to kind of do everything and it's kind of I guess where what you're talking about now is like you know when you're sort of doing a bit better you can kind of create those things where you're like I'm doing just this and that makes you so much more effective I think it's amazing so great stuff Dermot uh, well uh, I might grab some final thoughts from everybody because I mean I've taken a bunch of notes but I'm sure um, everyone else has been saying stuff so um, I might start with you Danette Danette any final thoughts on Lead Smart in today's conversation well I have to say love the book learn heaps have already started implementing because that's what you need to do you need to read and take action um there were so many good takeaways. I, I really like that flipping the urgency by importance um, equals priorities to my favourite thing is always focus on important first. So, But I love the fact that you then paired that with the urgency to equal priorities because sometimes you know, you've got the importance but that urgency is also driving. So working that out in that way, I really love that, Dermot. Thank you so much for coming on. It's been awesome and I am going to give you another hug. <laughs> <laughs> awesome and, and great had my hugs recently in Fiji. We did. we did. We had a few. <laughs> awesome. Well, th thanks, Danette. Great question. I did not today. hear that. <laughs> <laughs> We're all at a very acceptable distance. <laughs> <laughs> well, Graham, I'll uh, actually stay with you. So, any final thoughts today on um, the conversation and Lead Smart? Uh, so, Dermot, thank you. It's been fantastic. Uh, like, there's lots of notes. I, I had um, I have a question back in the conversation around delegating, and it was sort of more 
how do you um, help somebody be much more open to being delegated to and could you address your response to Danette but we won't go there yeah. so um, the, the last question I had was um, if Bob Geldof is listening to this podcast which is almost certainly going to happen what yeah. question would you have asked him with the benefit of um, what are we looking at a few years hindsight 29 um, what question would you ask him today if you met him at the bar Mildura RSL Club I think I'd probably like to know what has what has made him what aspect of all of that and, and there was a lot of light and shade in, in what, what happened to him so even though he was doing amazing work for people around the world, he got absolutely slammed for just mm. trying to further the Boomtown Rats and, and his own career. Yep, um, yep. What, what lessons did he take out of that whole experience that have made him a better person today? Nice. I've, always, I've always wondered how he coped with the negativity that came with all of that. Yeah. Have a, have a good tribe around you. Um, thank you. Love you. Love your honesty, your openness, the um, the, the growth for yourself and just you know, having conversations with people who challenge some of your beliefs and being open to thinking differently about that. And I love the fact that you continue to share what you learn. So you and Internet very much kindred spirits in that context. So thank you. It's been great having you on. Thank you. Awesome. Thank you, Graham, and great questions today. Um, John, I'll throw to you now. Any final thoughts on today's conversation and Lead Smart? Yeah, uh, um, I thoroughly enjoyed it. And, and I guess the takeaway for me and the one I'm, I'm still sitting with is you, you were talking about the swim lanes and you had those four swim lanes. But, you know, what are my swim lanes is uh, the thing I, I'm just reflecting on and trying to work out. And, are they, and how do they differ between, you know, what I do at Magical Learning to what I do in my nine-to-five to what I do at home to what I do with my other other activities as well? And how do I – how do you get the time, you know, allocated to each of those to make sure that you're having a productive day where you need to and having a restful day where you need to as well? So, yeah, just that, that question around what are, what are my swim lanes and how do they vary between things? And and that's the work you need to do. So I'm very clear about they're my lanes, and and yeah. um, you know everyone has as maybe similar, but they will be different lanes. But this is all about distilling it down to what's important, and and it could be family is one of your lanes. It could be you've got a particular uh, hobby or, or passion that's one of your lanes, and and that is yeah. totally fine. And look, four is just a number. It could be yeah, yeah. yeah. It could be five. It could be three. Uh, but I guess less is usually better than okay. having 15 lanes. Um, I, I tend to say, you know, between three and seven is probably a good place to go. All right. Sit down with a thank piece you. of paper, A3 piece of paper, and map it out for yourself. Yeah, thank you. Ta. John, would it be fair to say that your single uh, swim lane at home is painting? Is that appropriate? Uh, yeah, it would be fairly appropriate. Well, no, I've actually got a second one. It's now mowing lawns. <laughs> So between the two of them, yes, and the mowing you lawns. Mow your, lo your lanes into the grass. It looks. Yeah. <laughs> I'll I'll try that. I don't think my daughter will appreciate it, but yeah, I, I'll give it a crack. <laughs> I've got five acres to choose from, so I've got plenty of room. <laughs> Love that, John. Thanks so much, and great questions today. I loved it. Um, 
Uh, Dermot, any final thoughts on today's conversation and lead smart as well? Yeah, look, I'd just like to say thanks for the opportunity to come and talk about um, uh, my my new book. Um, It it is fantastic to write a book and and really get to distill your thinking and then take it out into the world. And it's funny, you know, as people might think that um, you get a lot of feedback on your book. You actually don't. It's a it's a vacuum. And and every now and again, you have a conversation like this and and you actually realize that it's meaningful to people and it makes a difference. So I, I really appreciate that. Hope your listeners have, have enjoyed this and, and get something practical that they can take away. If they're interested in the book, it's on, uh, you know, it's on Amazon, it's on Booktopia, it's in the airport bookstores and, and all the main bookstores. So uh, love if you uh, grabbed the copy and had a read and then reach out to me. My details are in the book if um, you think it's interesting. Great. Thank you so much, Dermot. And we'll have all those links available in the podcast description so you can just jump straight into that and go check them out. Um, Yeah, perfect. Well, that's amazing. Um, I'll have all those ready for everybody. Uh, I want to thank you so much, Dermot. This was a real blast. We had a great time. Uh, We'll definitely have you on uh, another time soon at some point to maybe discuss your next book or maybe just more interactions uh, with Bob Geldof, hopefully. Um, We'll see. (laughs) Um, Please. 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 <laughs> Pick up the phone, Bob. It's not hard. <laughs> we'll call that next episode uh, peas and thank you, hopefully, um, if he sends it a voice memo. But um, until then, everybody that's been sharing it, we really appreciate it. Uh, that's been going really well. And to everybody, as always, have a magical week. <laughs>